Um, so we are in Jesus, a CV. This is kind of our little super creative way of going through the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is showing all of his life skills that he's got, all of the um, different jobs that he could do um, in our lives and um, sort of help us with that. And so this week we're talking about Jesus as a guide. Now when you think of a guide, you probably think of like girl guides or Boy Scouts or something like that, you know, going through the jungle and you've got your guide with the, the nice hat and everything going on. But really, there's actually a ton of different types of guides. In fact, anybody who is helping you to do something is a guide. You know, the instruction booklet that we men never read, that's a guide. Our teacher is a guide. All sorts of people and things can act as guides, um, which is good. So, Everybody needs a guide if you want to get to the place that you're going. Once you know where you want to go, what you want to do, you need a guide to help get you there. Some guides, however, are more helpful than others, like this guy. goodness. Like I said, some guides more helpful than others. So in the spirit of our Jesus CV uh, series and 
we like to have a look at how these sort of jobs go very, very poorly. And I was thinking, well, how has guides really let us down? And then, of course, it came to me immediately. The greatest, most reliable guide that we have in our lives? Technology, right? I mean, when I want to go somewhere, all I need to do is tap it into the sat-nav, right? My little satellite navigation system, she's going to take me right there, Google Maps, Siri, whatever. She'll get me there, right? Never lead me astray, right? Yeah. Okay, so we've got a top 10 of all of the times sat-nav went wrong. Number 10. This person did not really pay attention to where they were driving. Actually, they got fined for this one because <laughs> that's a catastrophe right there. That road should not be driven by BMW at all. Number nine. So this satellite navigation failed to um, report to this family that they actually needed to take a ferry as part of their trip <laughs> to their destination. So um, that's how that happened. Number eight, keeping with the theme of sand, trucks and sand. Not a great mix. Number seven, yep, these people drove into a meter of freezing cold water. That's great satellite navigation system right there. Next, number six, big trucks, little spaces. Not a great mix. Number five, this is a little compilation that I'd like to title, UK truck drivers have the worst job in the world. It's just, it's official. The one on the top right there got so stuck in the hedge, he had to sit in his cab for three days before getting rescued. <laughs> That's not funny. <laughs> All right, number four. So this satellite navigation took this 91-year-old lady down the stairs in a shopping area. Although, counterpoint, there are road cones on the stairs. So what do people <laughs> expect, really? Number three. Back into trucks and tight spaces. At what point are you thinking, this is probably not the road that I'm supposed to be on? I don't know. Number two, we're going to keep the theme of trucks. This truck stuck. Now, this makes number two for one very special reason. Satnav took this under an arch in England built by the Romans. This arch is 1,700 years old. And uh, yeah, he broke it. <laughs> Yeah, don't know why they had a road underneath an arch that old. But anyway, number one, my favorite. This lady took a wrong turn somewhere, sat and failed her. What's really impressive to me is how far away from the road that she is. Like she has driven a fair distance before coming to the conclusion that perhaps not the space she's supposed to be. So satellite navigation, not always our most reliable friend. But it just kind of goes to show how important good navigation, good guides truly are, right? And I think this is even more the case when we think about spirituality, when we think about our eternal future. A good guide is really important. And I wanted to kind of highlight something to you this morning. I'm going to use the whiteboard because I like them. This is the way that we often traditionally look at the Christian faith. If we think of it in terms of pathways, so we've got the world, right? The world is just kind of going along nicely. But then we kind of got these paths. And up here, you've got this path that goes towards heaven, right? 
And then you've got this big path here. Come back to that one in a second. And then we've got this path down here. So all of the really bad people in the world, you know, your atheists and your criminals and your English rugby players, they're all going down here. Bad people. This is the way we tend to think about things. And then over here, you've got your, your sort of your really top-notch people, your A-plus Christians. These are your sort of professional ministers and your missionaries, you know, and that annoying neighbor that kind of collects your mail and sticks a Jesus is the reason for the season tract right in the middle of it for you, even though it's July, you know, and so she's, you know, doing that. So you've got these like super Christians over here. Then you've got most people, right? Now, most people are what you would call probably your normal. These people are good people. You know, I mean, maybe they're not coming to church every week. You know, maybe they're not sort of giving their whole lives to ministry or anything like that. But they're good people. They're trying to live their lives in a good way, right? They're trying to do their best and get along, and eventually, you know, they'll make it there. They'll make it to heaven. I mean, these people here, they're getting the beachfront properties, the beachfront mansions in heaven, all right? These guys here, they might sort of have to get by with a three-bedroom duplex sort of somewhere in heaven, but they're getting there, right? That's, that's the way. This is the way we kind of view spirituality in our world, don't we? That's the way we kind of look at things. And I think in Jesus' time, had a pretty similar view. Back then in Israel, everybody were Jews. Most people were Jews. Jews were people who were born into the sort of nation of Israel, and, you know, they had a certain laws and sacrifices they had to go about, and they're just kind of doing their thing, moving along, doing the best they can. Then you got your sort of like super Jews up here. Super Jews. So these would be like your religious leaders, right? Your, your sort of priests and your scribes and your Pharisees. These guys taking care of business. These guys were legit. And then over here, you had Gentiles. Everybody else. People who weren't Jews. There weren't that many of them in Israel at the time. You had the Roman army who were kind of conquering the land at the time. So they would have there. They're going down. But then for the most part, most people are just kind of doing their thing, right? That is the sort of view that they would have had when Jesus turns up on the scene. And then Jesus starts talking about pathways. He starts talking about ways to him. And this is what he says. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So Jesus' pathway... Similar at first, but there is no small pathway down. We've got this little pathway going up, and then, uh-oh, 
big pathway heads downwards. So you've got a small little group hit that are good, and the rest is the wide path that leads to destruction. This is the way Jesus shows the pathways. Very, very different from this one here, isn't it? And what's interesting, though, is that history has backed this up. Even though the, the words of Jesus, or what we call the gospel, or we call the story of Jesus, was spread all around the world. Everybody got to hear about this. You know, all across all nations, not every people group yet, but most people groups have heard about Jesus. And yet, it has played out throughout history and throughout the world that only a small path have chosen him. And most have not. Which I find very interesting. And in fact, our statistics bear this out as well. In 2018, the census came out. We've just started getting drip-fed some information about the 2018 census. And you can see some of the numbers here. 49% are no religion. And 38% of New Zealand say they're Christian. This is the first time, by the way, that no religion has outnumbered Christianity. Yay for us. So while we kind of look at that and go, wow, that's really bad, actually we're still sitting more than a third of the nation of New Zealand claim to be Christian. That's very big path, isn't it? It's a very wide path type number. But another study in the same year, the Faith and Belief Study, sort of broke it down a little bit more. They had a very similar number of people who claimed to be Christian, around a third, 33%. But of those... Well, not of those, but 33% were claimed to be Christian, but only 16% were willing to come to church at least once a month. That's what they would call regular attendance. And then only 9% would consider themselves extremely involved. And I've actually heard numbers worse than that. So that's starting to look a little bit more like this, isn't it? Only a small amount are actually choosing Jesus. Now here's the question, this is where I wanted to open it up a little bit, so we can have a little bit of a discussion, because I like doing that sometimes. Why do you think that is? Why do you think, I mean, let's say Jesus has shared his message with the world, he is offering eternal life, he is offering forgiveness for sins, he's offering the world, and yet people are not choosing him consistently not choosing. Why do you think that is? I'm going to sit here until someone answers me. Why do you think people do not choose? Depends on you, you'd be good for an answer. I'm sure there is one reason. Let's, let's throw one out there. Mm-hmm. Mm. Two very good things. Let me just repeat them so everybody else can hear. Um, so one of them, you're going to bring the microphone around. That's a good idea. So smart. So one of them is that people misunderstand Christianity. They don't understand what it is that Christianity is, which might possibly lead to sort of this big thing where they think, oh, yeah, I can just tick a box on the census. Other people are turned off by Christians who are sort of, would you say, impugning the character of God? Yeah, showing a very different picture of God than God actually is. So people run around doing all sorts of horrible stuff and then saying, I'm a Christian. We're like, oh, don't say that out loud, you know. 
Um, and so people get the wrong impression of who God is, and so they don't want to choose him. Yes? Anyone else? Lillian? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you say idolatry, not adultery, by the way. Uh, but <laughs> I always got those two confused. Idolatry means worshiping idols. That's what the Old Testament was. That's their biggest problem. But anything that we choose above God is kind of like an idol, something that we worship. Yeah. And there's a lot of things: uh, money, career, popularity, girls. Busyness? Yeah, because idolatry and busyness sort of come, they come together. I mean, you just get distracted by yeah. Busyness itself can become an idol that we, that we worship. Like we, we busy for the sake of being busy. But yeah. And I'll go here, but fun fact about busyness. The Chinese character for business, busyness, two different words. Soul and annihilation. Yeah. Soul Yes. Yes, it is. And that's especially true in the last couple of hundred years when we started caring about science. Um, this has been true for 2,000 years. You know, so there's always something, isn't there? You know, there's always a reason that is kind of people, they don't quite know they have to choose, which again, we live in this world. People think we live in this world where I might want to choose to become a super Christian if I'm really, you know, into it. But even if I don't, I'm okay. You know, so they kind of have this mentality. Yes, very good. I want to, I want to circle back to a response to that question too in a little bit, but now we've got hands everywhere. This is awesome. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's about how do we as Christians, as church, what is church and how do we find mission? Sure. Yep, no, I think that's true. And I think and when the church acts in a certain way for so long and does not shift with the culture, it becomes di- distinct from culture so much that people end up in that same boat where they don't understand what's going on. They, they, don't, they can't connect with the face of Christianity in the sense, which is us. Yep, very good. This is great stuff, guys. Who else? I think a lot of people just don't believe in God, or they perceive that they don't. There's no value add to having God in your life. We're, we're a very affluent uh, society, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, we're not doing what our knees to grow. So. Yep, very good. Do you check in the time, Kenzie, or are you putting your hand up? <laughs> um, I think one of the big reasons as well is we don't want to be held accountable. Mm-hmm. We want to live our lives the way we don't. We don't want anyone to tell 
based on God and His Spirit, tell me what to do, essentially. Mm. I think that comes back to actually what Marilise was saying about our science, scientific view. Science has basically told us that we are the most powerful thing in the universe. We are the most important thing in the universe. So anyone who is trying to usurp that power is going to get shut down. Oh, yeah, we're not going to go down there. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 you're right. So we, we kind of struggle to give ourselves over to something, which ties in again to this idea of not really understanding what's going on. Sorry. Yep, Mum? This is my mama. Mm-hmm. Oh dear. That was his thought. What kind of books are you reading? I'm just <laughs> kidding. And, but he thought he was a good man because he believed in God and after every bad thing he did, he repented. That was a misunderstanding. Yeah. Was that the Da Vinci Code? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's a misunderstanding that actually he didn't die. Yeah. Yes. I think, I think you're right. We're, we're hitting on a lot of different elements here of because we live in this world, we have created this in our minds that um, there's so much room here and normalness that is still okay. Here's a question then. Why do we end up back in this space? And maybe, a, you know, because Jesus gave us this 2,000 years ago. He told us the way. He, he gave us clearly this, this path that you choose me, the narrow path, don't choose the wide path. That path takes a right turn down to the very warm place. So why do we, we've, we did this 2,000 years ago. We, we didn't just unearth this passage last week. So it's not news to us. And yet we still end up here. And I think one of the things, a lot of what we just talked about applies to this as well. But there's another element that I want to bring into play here. And that's where we're talking about our guides. We're talking about the guides that we have. And I, I kind of started in on this checklist thing um, of things that we need to do. But one of the first things that I wanted to do, that we need to do when we're thinking about this, is we need to check the applications for the job. Check the applicants because Jesus is not the only one who is applying for the job of guide of our life. Jesus is not the only one. All right? We have two voices going on in our heads. Two voices fighting for our attention, fighting to lead us. And to, to beautifully illustrate this, I have another video clip.
That's actually a scientific uh, accurately depiction of <laughs> God and the devil. No. So we have these two voices, don't we? It is not only Jesus who wants to lead us and guide us up this path, but Satan wants to lead us down this path too. And one of the ways he does that is given to us in the next part of the passage Jesus is talking about. In verse 15, he says this. <coughs> Excuse me. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good, good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. The next one. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear bad good bear bad good fruit. <laughs> Say this seven times fast, honestly. Bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. At least you're paying attention. That's good. Thus, by the fruit you will recognize them. So he's kind of introducing this group of people, these false prophets or teachers, who are pretending to be good people, pretending to be godly people, but are in fact wolves leading us astray. And I think one of the things that has happened is that our false prophets, our false teachers have tried and teach us this, this way of thinking about the world. This is the most effective way that they have had of distracting us from what Jesus truly said, is to give us this impression that normal is okay that there is this big, wide, middle road. But they're not being led by Jesus. They're being led by the other guy. Their guide is the other guy. So we like to think of modern examples of this. You know, we always think of televangelists. They get a bad rap. You know, Westboro Baptists, you know, people who are, have committed these heinous sins and all of this sort of stuff. And these people who have done all of these bad things and we're like, oh, these are the false prophets. But we have to be careful about how we go about this. Because Jesus says the way that you will know whether these are false prophets or not is by their fruit, by what they do, by their lives. Which means you really can't tell unless you can see their lives. See, back in, in Jesus' time, your, your teachers weren't on podcasts, they weren't on YouTube, they weren't you know, coming streaming across the internet. We weren't getting snippets of teachers. Someone would come in and would live with you for a while and teach you and then move on perhaps. Or they would be there for a long time. You could see their lives playing out. So you could tell whether they were legit, whether they were godly people or whether they weren't. It became very obvious very quickly. So we have to be careful with the way that we judge the people we listen to positively or negatively because we don't get to see their lives. We only get to see what is written in the book that they wrote or what they have said through their microphone and the rumors that go along with them. But we don't get to see it. So we have to be careful about how we sort of label the people. That's just kind of a little side tangent. Effectively, what we need to do is we need to test everything that is said by what is going on in the Bible. All right, so the first thing is we've got to check the applicants. We've got to become aware that there are two guides out there vying for our attention. The second thing we need to do is we need to reread the map. So we need to change the perspective on these paths, on these roads. 
Uh, Let's read on, verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we did not, didn't we not prophesy in your name or, or speak in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? Didn't we look the part? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. He's describing this, isn't he? He's describing this path. People who claiming to be Christians, people who are claiming to be followers of Jesus. But how do we actually tell if we are a follower of Jesus? He says in verse 21, we follow him. We do the will of him who sent him, of God. Right? When Jesus is our guide, that's how we can tell. That's how we go up this path. So, what it comes down to is not my behavior. See how we got this by behavior? People who do bad things, people who are trying to do their best, people who are doing really good things. It's not about that. It's about following. And not following. So we kind of judge people on a sort of gradient, don't we? Kind of look at their lives, and this person is more of a Christian than that person, or this person is kind of a nominal Christian, or this person is a zealous Christian. You know how we kind of talk about people like that? And usually, if we're being honest, the people who are less involved in us are nominal, and the people who are more involved in us are a bit extreme, right? Because I'm right in the middle where it should be. (laughs) And we have this sense, and it's this three-path sense. Jesus doesn't have that. There's no three paths with him. There are two paths. Following Jesus and not following Jesus. That's it. And not many people choose to follow him because following him, as we talked about, is hard. It's not easy. You saw that picture I had up. Can you throw that picture back up of the two paths? And we were talking about why we wouldn't If you walked into the forest and you had those two options to walk down, which one would you walk down? I mean, it's simple. One is really hard, it's tricky, it's bumpy. Unless you're crazy like Nate, you're not wanting to go down that path. The other path is smoother, it's simpler, it's easier. So we work to try and find out a way that we can walk down the easy path and still end up in the right destination. That's why we create this. We want the easy path that still leads to Jesus. Jesus doesn't offer that path. He offers a harder path, a more difficult path. And so that leads us to the third thing that we need to do on our checklist, is we need to choose our guide. This sounds like a sort of silly thing, you know? Choose Jesus or don't choose Jesus. But we actually do need to do this. This is the moment where we need to actually pause We need to actually stop, slow down. We need to think about the map that is in front of us and we need to choose which guide we want to follow. Which path are we going to try and take? It's not always an easy decision. Jesus never made it an easy decision. He never said it was an easy decision. He says it's going to cost you everything you got. It's free admittance. It will cost you everything. We need to decide if that's what we truly want to do. 
Because life's too short for pretending. And honestly, it never works with God anyway. He just knows. He's smarter than that. He's going to figure it out. So that sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? Sounds a little heavy. Supposed to be heavy days today, right? (laughs) But this is the reality Jesus puts in front of us. He puts us two paths in front of us. And he says, pick one. I'm not going to force you. Just pick one. But the thing we need to remember is that he doesn't say pick one and then go. He says, pick one and I'll come with you. He always comes with us. We go down the hard path. We know where it leads to. We know who it leads to. And we know who comes with us. Which makes it the best path, in my opinion. But I can't make that decision for you. We have to make that decision for ourselves. So, look, this is something I want to let sit and settle, and God's going to do with it what he does um, in your own hearts and your own minds as you think about that and dwell on that. If you want to talk about any of this sort of stuff, if you want to have a discussion, Nate and I are here, anybody who, I mean, anybody you want to talk to is good, but we're here um, and we can have a discussion, we can pray through some of this stuff. Anyone you're feeling comfortable with, Richard Pollock, one of our elders is here, you can talk with him if you want. Um, so anybody that you feel comfortable with, but just have a discussion, talk it through, see where it's going. And then, um, yeah. I want to finish by saying that um, Jesus actually faced the same decision we do. He faced his own path. Right at the beginning of his ministry, he was tempted by Satan, who offered him a different path. God had told him to do one thing, and Satan was trying to tell him to do another, and he had to choose. And he chose well. He chose a hard path, a path that led to an execution, humiliation, punishment, but ultimately to our salvation, our being saved and reconciled to him.